Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the Drake. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will start with Tim's origin and then make our way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got you. everyone and welcome to episode 26 of Robin Everyone Loves uh, Taking Flight Still uh, but Everyone Loves the Drake here on the BatmanUniverse.net This is going to uh, continue my conversation with Tom Painter-Reese. This is the second half of uh, the conversation from the previous episode. This is uh, the Cry of the Huntress discussion portion of the episode that Tom and I had and again I want to send out a huge thank you to Tom Painter-Reese for saving my keister on this for whatever reason uh, when we were recording I saw the uh, Skype recorder was recording the call and I actually played it back uh, for a little bit just to make sure I had a good recording uh, after we were done and then I had gone to sleep and woke up in the morning I don't know what I did if I hit a button but I accidentally deleted the file or the file for some reason didn't save so I hurriedly emailed Tom because uh, he was saying that he was recording it also and I was hoping that he had it. So uh, thankfully he did have the file. So what you're actually hearing is Tom's recording of the show. So uh, thank you very, very much, sir. So this is going to be the cry of the huntress portion. I'll do just a little bit of the lead end to get us here. Uh, this is uh, six issues. And as I was putting together the synopsis, um, I was trying to uh, condense it uh, as much as I could, but there, you know, is, Sometimes there's some information that you kind of need. So it is a little lengthy because it is six issues. I really didn't want to turn this into three episodes. So this one could be just a little bit longer. So uh, bear with me. Uh, But Tom and I... uh, have a really good conversation of what we thought about uh, Robin three cry of the huntress. So without further ado, we will go in uh, to the lead in section of the show and uh, we will get into the synopsis, but uh, thanks for tuning in to uh, Robin. Everyone loves the Drake and welcome to the show.
Part of the podcast is where I give you the writing and artist credits for the issues we're going to be looking at. But these are six issues, and it's going to take just as long to go through everything uh, as it would uh, just our normal discussion. So I'm getting the information from Mike's Amazing World, and they've recently updated the website, and it's uh, even slicker now. Um, most of the issues uh, range from the cover date of December 1992 and ending in March 1993, and the release dates uh, start in November. November 3rd, 1992, and go all the way to January 12th, 1993. Writing in the artist team is basically the same all the way through the whole entire story until you get to the sixth issue. Uh, the writer is Chuck Dixon, the penciler is Tom Lyle, the inker is Robert R. Smith, the letter is Timothy Harkins, the colorist is Adrian Roy. There's some help in the pencil department for the sixth issue that is in the form of Grant, and these last names are so hard sometimes. Uh, M-I-E-H-M. There, I'll let you sound it out for yourself. And as I always like to do, Tim Drake Robin, created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick. Robin costume, created by Neil Adams and Norm Brayfogle. So now we'll go into the synopsis of Robin 3, Cry of the Huntress, issues 1 through 6. Uh, grab a sandwich, because this is going to be about a half hour of your life. Here we go. In the night sky of Gotham City swings the dynamic duo. Things have been crazy lately, like somebody has been putting the underworld on fast forward. Batman and Robin have had their hands full on this night. Batman and Robin break through the window of the White Wolves biker gang hideout. Batman thinks that Black Mask has called some out-of-town thugs to start some running in Gotham City. Batman and Robin make quick work of the gang while being surprised briefly by a helicopter firing upon Batman and Robin. The dynamic duo nearly escape with their lives while taking down the rest of the gang. Batman tells Robin he wants him to stay out of action for a few nights. He wants to scout out the area and see what's happening. Robin is still a little shooken up from the gunfire and says, sure. On the other side of Gotham City, the Huntress is looking to a case all by herself. She's tracking down some mobsters and some drug runners. She hasn't alerted herself to Batman and Robin yet. She finds some blank pieces of paper in a hotel where some of the men were staying. She's not sure about the paper and wonders what it can be used for. She takes some of it with her. The next morning, back in Gotham Heights High School, Tim Drake is going through his normal day when his best friend Ives comes up behind him and pleads with Tim to come to his birthday party because if he's there, it's going to cause a little bit of distraction so Ives doesn't have to be there with his family. Okay, okay, Tim is going to go along. Tim reluctantly says yes, and Tim stops by Mrs. Hollingsworth's office. She asks him how his father is doing. Tim says he's recuperating well and the process is getting better and better all the time. Mrs. Hollingsworth looks like she wants to say something, but stops herself. She looks a little concerned, and Tim proceeds on his way. Later that night, Tim is out celebrating with Ives' family for Ives' birthday party. Things are going very well, and can tell that Ives is in rare form. Tim excuses himself to head down the hallway to the bathroom. He hears what sounds like fighting coming from outside. Of course, Tim being Tim, he peeks outside, and can hear some muffled rushing. 
He hears a woman scream, leave him alone. One of the Russian thugs has the young woman around the neck and waist, while the other two begin punching the older man over and over again. Tim knows he can't rush right out and take care of the situation without possibly compromising his Robin's secret identity. He waits for the scuffle to end and then heads over and races to their aid. It's a father and daughter. The young girl is about Tim's age, and the two help the older man who is bleeding from the mouth and head back inside to the print shop where they came from. Tim says that they should call the police, and the older man says, no, there's no need for the police. The young woman says, Papa, these men could have killed you. She turns and says, thank you. I've never seen you in this part of the neighborhood before. What's your name? For a brief second, Tim forgets his name and says, "Uh, Tim, Tim Drake. Uh, I was just with my friend's birthday party next door. She says her name is Ariana Drzinsko. Tim says, you're very pretty. your, Your name is very pretty. Tim hangs his head. Ariana turns and says, well, I have to go take care of my papa. Tim says, oh, sure, I- I've got to get back to my, uh, my friend's party before they miss me, Tim says. Later that night, Tim arrives home at Drake Manor, and his father is waiting up for him. The two have a discussion about the late hours that Tim is keeping. Tim says he wanted to head over to Wayne's place for something he was working on for a school project. Jack tells Tim he's spending way too much time over at Mr. Wayne's. I know you came and went as you please when you were with Wayne when I was in the hospital, but I'm home now, and you'll do as I say. Tim nods and heads upstairs to his bedroom. Tim waits for his father to sleep. He then heads downstairs into the cellar. Tim pushes a button on the floor and drains the water in the sump pump and the well to reveal a ladder that goes down into a long shaft. Tim slides down the ladder and heads down a cave. Jack Drake's place and Wayne Manor are side by side, and this long cave leads into none other than the Bat Cave. Within a few minutes, Tim is inside the Batcave, suits up in his Robin costume, and heads out back into the night. He wants to find out what's going on with Ariana's father's shop. Tim knows that Bruce told him to take it easy being Robin for a while until things cool down with the gang war, but he just wants to check on the girl and make sure everything's okay. Just as Robin is about to leave, a black car pulls up, and a group of men get out of the car. A couple of them are the same men that were there earlier that day that were roughing up Ariana's father. One of them is quite large, wearing a trench coat. The men are holding guns, axe, and what appears to be a flamethrower. The large one in the trench coat rips the doors off and begins to head inside the print shop. The men begin to start torching the place. This is Robin's cue to swing down into the print shop and see if Ariana and her father are okay. Robin kicks one of the men to the ground with the flamethrower. When Robin lands on his feet, he feels two very large hands on his shoulders. Before Robin can turn around, he feels himself being thrown through the plate glass window in the front of the shop. Dazed and confused, Robin looks up to see what has just happened to himself. Standing in front of him is the KGB looking down at him. He hears a voice saying that you are being Robin, and I am going to be killing you. Most teenagers stay out past their curfew. The worst they can expect is to get grounded when they get back home. I'm about to get killed, Robin thinks. The KGB is standing over Robin with his gun pulled and blades come out from the sides, getting ready to strike at Robin. Robin grabs the bow staff from his back and strikes at the KGB, but the KGB's blade snaps Robin's bow staff in half. Just then, Ariana's father comes out of the print shop carrying a shotgun and takes a shot at the KGB, and it barely grazes him. The KGB turns around and shoots Ariana's father right in the chest, dropping him to the ground. Ariana screams out, Papa! The KGB thugs grab Ariana and throw her into the moving car that pulls up. The KGB continues to shoot at Robin. Robin begins to leap from car to car to try and get away from the blast from the KGB, at the same time trying to see what is happening to Ariana. 
Robin tries to catch them, but he can't keep up. And from behind him, he hears, What are you doing all this way down in Chinatown, bird boy? He turns around to see the ghost dragons, led by none other than Lynx. But Robin thinks to himself, I should run, there's no shame in it, and he can tell that he is outnumbered. But the night has already started off so well, he might as well have at it. Robin is able to kick a few of the ghost dragons to the ground, but he realizes he's quickly outnumbered. He's forgotten how good Lynx was, and she delivers a swift kick to his face, and he's knocked to the ground. That's going to hurt in the morning. On his hands and knees, one of the members of the ghost dragon grabs him by the back of his hair and pulls him up so he can see Lynx face to face. Robin thinks, I'm not even supposed to be out here tonight. Just as one of them gets ready to hit Robin in the back of the head, something comes up from behind Robin, landing right in the front of Lynx, knocking her to the ground. It's the Huntress. She lands and says, you're Robin, right? Robin says, yeah. The Huntress asks if Batman is with him tonight. Robin says, no. I guess Batman told you about me. Robin looks at her and says, not very much, actually. She turns and looks at Robin and asks if there's any special reason for him being out here tonight. Robin says, no, not really. Robin and Huntress take care of a few of the members of the Ghost Dragons. Robin grabs a hold of the Huntress's waist and the two begin to be repelled to the top of a building from the Huntress's line launcher. The Huntress points out a few nasty bruises on Robin's face. Robin says, it's not that bad. She says, oh, a tough guy, huh? You're not even old enough to drive. Robin says, no, but I'll be getting my driver's permit soon. So, the Huntress says, Batman approves of your little outing all by yourself tonight. Robin says, no, not after tonight. I really messed things up bad. Robin turns and looks at the Huntress and says, what's your hang-up with Batman anyway? The Huntress says, oh, just another concerned citizen. Robin tells the Huntress what happened to Ariana and her father, and the KG Beast has taken Ariana and has no idea where she's gone. The Huntress holds a piece of paper and says, maybe it has something to do with this piece of paper. You said the girl and her father owned a print shop. Maybe they had something going on with the KG Beast that backfired. The Huntress looks at Robin and says, don't worry, kid. We'll turn this town upside down until we find your girlfriend and swings away. Robin says, she's not my girlfriend. Tim thinks something about this doesn't feel right, but he can't exactly tell Batman that he was out here and he can't exactly say that he's working with the Huntress. This night just keeps getting better and better. Sometimes later, Lynx returns back to the King Snake and tells the King Snake what has transpired. The King Snake turns and looks at Lynx and asks if the bird was out there again tonight. Lynx says yes, and there was another woman with him. The King Snake turns from Lynx and says, Leave me to my hatred. In another part of Gotham, Tony Brassi is going over the night's activities. They were supposed to bring back the printer, but instead they brought back the printer's teenage daughter. The printer has been killed by the KG Beast. This is not what Tony Brassi wants, and backhands the KG Beast. The KG Beast doesn't even flinch and continues to stare at Tony Brassi. They were going to use the printer's knowledge to get what they wanted, and now they have his daughter. Tony Brassi begins to look at the paper that they have been using and looks at Ariana and thinks she is no use to them with her father being dead. The next morning, Tim is in Gotham Heights High School and he can barely keep his eyes open. And he finds himself in Mrs. Hollingsworth's office. Mrs. Hollingsworth is concerned of Tim and is aware of his mother and father's history and that Mr. Wayne took him in for some time. Mrs. Hollingsworth says, You sure seem to spend quite a bit of time over at Mr. Wayne's. Tim says, Yeah, he really helped me out when Dad was in the hospital. Tim thinks to himself he doesn't like where this line of question is going. Mrs. Hollingworth says, It looks like you've taken a beating. There's no need in hiding it. You don't have to protect Mr. Wayne. 
Tim steps right up and says, uh, Bruce would never. Mrs. Hollingsworth cuts Tim off and says, I've already spoken to your father, and he's concerned as I am. We think it's in your best interest that you no longer associate with Mr. Bruce Wayne. Unless you have another reason for explaining your injuries. Tim looks at Mrs. Hollingsworth and thinks to himself, Come on, Tim, think, think, think. Well, answer the question, Tim. Mrs. Hollingsworth states, Tim thinks to himself, the Joker, King Snake, the Electrocutioner, the Clue Master, Anarchy, now Mrs. Hollingsworth, the school counselor. Just a list of those people that have been after Tim in his short time while being Robin. Tim thinks the only thing that he can think of on the spot. Uh, it's an upperclassman, a, a senior, I think. Mrs. Hollingsworth has a frown on her face and looks at him. I suppose you don't remember the name or care to report who it is. Tim shakes his head, says, Well, the first thing tomorrow morning, we're going to go through student IDs and we'll find out who this bully is. Tim stands up to leave her room and says, Yes, Mrs. Hollingsworth. He turns and leaves and thinks, What do I do now? I can't go back to Bruce. As far as he knows, I, I was at home sleeping last night, not out there throwing fists with the KG Beast and the Ghost Dragons. I sure as heck can't talk to my dad, and I can't even talk to Alfred. He's going to have to give me all kinds of advice that I really don't want to listen to. Harold seems to be the only one Tim can talk to because, well, quite frankly, Harold doesn't talk. Later that night in Drake Manor, things are odd between Tim and his father. They go over the discussion with the counselor, and Tim stands up abruptly and heads upstairs and says, It's okay, Dad. It's nothing. I'm all right. Jack says they need to talk about this, and Tim storms up the stairs and just yells over his shoulders, Just, just leave me alone. As Tim heads upstairs, he thinks, God, I hate myself for hurting him like this, but I, I just can't lie to him anymore. Tim uses this diversion like he always does to be able to get into his Robin costume. He was supposed to meet the Huntress at midnight, and he's a little late. Once he arrives at the location, the Huntress looks at Robin and says, What, Batman never gives you a watch? As Robin lands on the ground, he says, And you wonder why Batman doesn't even mention you. Robin and the Huntress begin to look at Ariana's father's place, or what's left of it, after the KG Beast and his men had their way with the print shop. They begin to figure out what was going on and what might have been taken from the print shop, besides Ariana. While looking at the scene, an older gentleman comes over to Robin and the Huntress and begins to tell them what he knows about the old Russian mafia that used to be in this part of town. The Huntress asks if he could help them. The gentleman says that he's not afraid of them, says that they have a casino over at Simmons Furniture Place. The hunter says that's two blocks east of here. Robin says, you sure know these streets. She says, I should. My family's lived here since they came off the boat way back when. As the two are racing across the rooftops, Robin says, do they still live here anymore? The hunter says, no, I don't have a family here anymore. Robin turns and says, oh, does that mean... Just then, the Huntress cuts off Robin and says, They're dead, okay? I would figure you would know what that's like. I figure you just didn't join up Batman because you couldn't make Little League. Robin shakes it off, and he figures out that he must have touched a hot spot with the Huntress. Once they reach Zimmerman's furniture, they can see one of the men that was out front of Ariana's father's print shop. Robin turns to the Huntress and says, Well, how do you want to handle this? The Huntress looks at Robin and says, Well, the mood that we're in tonight, I say that we just jump right down their throats. Robin looks at the Huntress and says, Sounds like a plan. Robin and Huntress leap from the top of the building down on the top of the gangsters below and make quick work of them, taking them out one by one and head into the casino. The Huntress and Robin split up and begin to take out the men separately so they can make better use of their time inside the casino. 
Robin looks to see the Huntress has her situation under control and turns to see one of the men trying to escape out the back door. Robin hurriedly leaps over a couple of the gambling casino tables, takes out a couple of men along the way, and crashes into the man that's trying to escape out the back door and slams his face into a security panel on the back wall. He grabs the man by the throat and asks about Ariana Trzinsko. You took her last night. Where is she? The man looks at Robin and says, The girl is being dead. Robin looks shocked, pulls his hand back, clenches his fist, and a voice behind him says, Robin, are you here, kid? Robin. Robin gets ready to swing at the man's face, and the huntress grabs him by the arm and says, Back off. Robin cries out, They killed her. They killed Ariana. The huntress tries to console Robin, but Robin doesn't want to hear it. Robin leaps from the ground to a dumpster and then scales up the side of the building and then swings his bat line out and swings out into the night sky. The huntress tries to call after Robin. Robin just turns over his shoulder and says, Leave me alone. Back on the ground, Lynx has arrived at the scene and grabs the man that Robin was getting ready to slam on the face with his fist and takes him back to King Snake to try and squeeze some information out of him. The next morning, Tim wakes up in his bed in Drake Manor, walks into the bathroom and looks into the mirror and thinks, Oh, crap. Now to go with the bruise on his face, he now has a black eye. This just keeps getting better. It's in the middle of the afternoon, and Tim is down in the Batcave training. Alfred comes in and says, Master Tim, I wasn't aware you were home from school today. Tim lands in the ground and says, Oh, yeah, that's the point of playing hooky, Alfred. You don't let anybody know what you're doing. Dear Lord, your face. Tim says, Yeah, yeah, I know. Alfred asks, How did this happen? Tim says, I walked into a door, okay? A bunch of doors. Does Master Bruce know? Tim hangs his head and says, no, he doesn't. And he'd rather not know if it's okay between the two of them. Alfred says, maybe we should try to conceal those marks. Tim says, nah, it's okay, leave him alone. Tim heads out of the back cave and says, keep this to yourself, okay, Alfred? Alfred shakes his head, but has a concerned look on his face. Alfred always does. Back inside Tim's home, Tim's father is very disappointed with him and tells him that the attendance office called. You didn't even go to school today. I want to know where you were all day. And I can see that you got into another fight. Tim tries to talk to his father, but Tim's dad just cuts him off. I've never been so disappointed into you. What happened to the son I used to know? Who you used to know, Tim says? You don't even know me. You never even bothered to know me. You just shipped me off from boarding school to boarding school, then to another one. Nobody ever paid any attention to me as long as I got good grades, while you and Mom were off running around the world together because of your careers. Jack points a finger at Tim and says, And don't think you can talk to me like that just because I am in a chair. I'm not like Bruce Wayne. Tim knocks some books off the table and says, At least Bruce cares about me, not just how I reflect on him. You don't know anything about me. Tim storms off and heads up to the stairs. Once he's out of sight, Tim begins to cry. Later that night, standing on top of a bridge in Gotham City stands Robin. He thinks to himself, The secret identity thing used to be fun. Now it's a major drag. There's no one I can talk to. There's no one I can talk to. I can't tell my dad about my life as Robin. I can't tell Batman about disobeying his orders. I can't tell anyone about how Ariana Dzinsko died because I couldn't save her. It looks like it's up to me to avenge her, and it looks like I'm going to be doing it all alone. Well, maybe not quite alone. The Huntress is heading back to her place to get showered up for the evening. She sneaks back into her apartment to find Robin sitting in her armchair, waiting for her. How did you know where to find me? Robin turns and looks at the Huntress and says, 
You mean, how did I know where to find Helena Bertinelli? It wasn't too tough. You gave me a lot to go on. Tim begins to tell them the discussion that the two of them had on the rooftop and begins pinpointing and connecting the dots to figure out who the Huntress really was. After the history lesson of Helena Bertinelli, Robin tells the Huntress they were able to get a more detailed analysis of the paper sample that she gave him. And it's pretty weird. It was made in Germany. It's a high-quality ragstock with polymer fibers bonded to it. Fascinating, she says sarcastically. Robin says it's currency stock. Whatever the hammer had to do with it involves in counterfeiting. I've checked the seats against every world currency stock and there's no match. They're going to have to get a fix on who's using it or what brand of currency it's going to be printed on. Robin continues to tell her this racket only works with a copy currency from a stable economy. Robin walks over to the Huntress's window and opens it up, and the Huntress says, Wait a minute, where are we going? Robin says, I want to know where you got this sample of paper from. And the two head out the window. The Huntress thinks, Man, doesn't this kid know it's a school night? Once inside the hotel, they begin to look for clues to see if they can find out who is staying here, but the room is pretty much empty. It appears that the person that was staying there has already checked out. Robin points to a TV and says, Funny, most hotels have a speedy checkout you can do from your room. If somebody's booked in here, maybe the TV monitor still has the registry of the person's name on it. As Robin begins to go through the TV, Robin accidentally sets off a silent alarm that notifies the Russian mobsters below that someone has entered the room. Suddenly, the Russian mobsters appear in the room. Robin realizes that two of the men are the two creeps that took Ariane. He grabs a mattress from the bed and slams it into the two men up against the wall of the hotel room. The huntress leaps on top of the mattress and puts a knife to the nose of one of the men and says, If this is getting a little too ugly, kid, you can take a walk, but I'm not playing nice anymore. I know scum like this, and I know what will make them talk. Just then, a tremendous thud is heard, and half of the wall crumbles behind them. Standing in the debris of one of the walls of the hotel is the cagey beast. I'm coming to quickly be killing all of you, and not too much trouble to be killing a child and a woman. The huntress asks, what is that? Robin says it's the cagey beast. He's the one who killed Ariana. Robin leaps towards the cagey beast and gets a good kick at his face and grabs his new titanium bow staff from his back and slams it into the eyepiece of the cagey beast. The huntress tries to sneak up behind the cagey beast, but he spots her and slams her into the wall behind the cagey beast and turns to face Robin again. Robin takes another swing at the cagey beast and half bends his bow staff on the KGB's head. The KGB's is dazed for a second while Huntress has regained herself and slams her body in the KGB's, knocking him out of the opening of the hotel wall. As he's falling, he grabs a hold of the Huntress and pulls her through the opening. Robin grabs a hold of the Huntress and the KGB's, and the two are dangling outside of the opening of the hotel room. The Huntress grabs a knife from her utility belt and stabs the KGB's in the forearm, and the KGB's plummets to the Gotham City streets below. The KGB lands on a car on the streets below. Believe it or not, he got up and ran away, Robin says. The Huntress turns around and says the other two slipped away also. Robin tells the Huntress that they can use the names from the TV's checkout system and they can see what they come up with. And they can meet back at the Huntress's apartment tomorrow night. Then the Huntress remembers that she has papers to grade for tomorrow. The next day, Tim finds himself in Mrs. Hollingsworth's office again with more questions again and with more bruises again. It's like every time Tim goes into that office, he has more bruises and more questions, and they always find to seem their way back to Bruce Wayne. Did he do this? Later that night at home, Tim is doing some homework when his dad enters his room. He has that look on his face. I'm not sure what I did wrong. Maybe it was giving in to your wishes to attend public school. But I made a few phone calls. I decided that I'll be transferring you to Fenwood Academy for boys in Metropolis. 
Oh no, Tim exclaims. In the Batcave, Tim tells Alfred, I can't catch a break. I disobeyed Batman and tried to fix it, and that only makes things worse. And I sure can't go to him now. I find a girl I like, and she's murdered by a Russian mafia, and now my dad wants to send me to boarding school in Metropolis. I'm barely halfway through my teen years, and already I'm a complete washout. I get the opportunity of a lifetime, and I blow it. That would certainly curtail your activities as Robin, Alfred says. The Huntress and I are getting closer to the creeps who killed Ariana. The Huntress, Alfred says, Batman would not approve of you associating with her. Well, I've done a lot this past week that he wouldn't approve of, so he may want to find a new partner even if I can't convince my dad to let me stay in Gotham. Tim asks where Bruce is, and Alfred says Bruce has been quite secretive, but something's afoot with the gangs that are running the streets of Gotham City. Tim says, tell me about it. He takes his Robin costume and heads out of the Batcave and tells Alfred that he and the Huntress are going to compare notes. As Tim leaves the cave, Alfred thinks Bruce would not approve of this at all. Robin and the Huntress meet up sometime later and they compare notes. Robin says he found the real names of the Russian Mafia guys who defected to Gotham almost 10 years ago and developed a particular way of bonding paper together and they can encode data and serial numbers and issue them into a manufacturing process to help create the money. He tells her that this process is used by the governments worldwide. He tells her it's the state-of-the-art process that governments use worldwide in the encoding process that they use in the application for currency. The counterfeit money is useless unless they have the security strip embedded in the money. If they're able to do that, they'll be able to produce 100% accurate currency on almost in any foreign or domestic market. There are only a few printing places left in Gotham City that can print that type of routing number onto the paper. The Hunters and Robin begin to track down the few remaining printing plants left in Gotham City. All the locations are becoming up empty, or the places have been shut down for the evening. They stop by one of the last ones, and one of the smokestacks is active. That can only mean one thing. Somebody's using the incinerator in there. Somebody is burning paper. The hunter says she's going to find a way in and breaks off from Robin. Robin tries to stop her, and she says, Who's going to rescue us both if we're both caught at the same time? I'll try and save some bad guys for you. She turns and leaves Robin's side. Robin finds his own way into the building by popping onto the back of a semi-truck that's going in. This is one of the first rules Batman taught Robin. Stay out of sight and stay quiet. Robin climbs from the top of the rafters and begins snooping around and sees Tony Brassing his men and tending one of the printing presses. He can see that they're printing brand new $100 brills in a European currency. But it's a currency that Robin has never seen before. Brass is standing over one of the printing presses, entering in the new security codes that are being placed into the strip that's being embedded into the money. Tony Brassy is going to the computer and entering the security barcodes into the currency. After he approves the sample, a few moments later, the KG Beast comes into view, holding the unconscious body of the Huntress. Robin waits for them to leave. He knows right now that he's no match for them while the KG Beast is holding the Huntress. Who knows what the KG Beast might do to her. Once Tony Brassy and his men have left, Robin jumps down and takes out the few remaining workers on the printing press and begins to play around with the program. He thinks he might be able to help them make some funny money and changes some of the notes on the bill right there on the spot. And then begins to track down where they took the Huntress. Robin begins to search the warehouse and comes upon a room with a bunch of women putting a white substance into plastic bags. Not only are they printing money, but they are making heroin at the same time. He notices that one of the girls that's putting heroin in one of the bags kind of looks like, oh my gosh, it's Ariana. She's alive. Robin can feel his heart pounding. 
He doesn't know if it's adrenaline or if it's love or whatever it is, but this is his chance to save Ariana. Robin races into the room and turns out the lights. Once in the darkness, Robin activates his night vision lenses and begins to take out the guards at a feverish pace. Robin calls out to Ariana. She looks up. Robin says, I'm here to take you out of here. He grabs her hand and turns to run, and suddenly the lights come on in the room, blinding Robin because his night vision lenses are still active. He can't see anything, but he hears a voice in the bright light saying, You'll not be leading here anywhere, except to the grave. Robin's eyesight begins to come slowly back, but all he can see now instead of dark shadows are bright white shadows. He hears, Kill them. He thinks to himself, I'm trapped deep inside the bad guy's hideout. There's only one way out, and that's through a half a dozen thugs. No problem. Batman and I have been in tighter spots before. Robin leaves Ariana's side and jumps from thug to thug, staying in close so they can't get in close to Robin and be able to use their guns. Robin is able to take out a few of them, and he and Ariana are able to make their way out of the room. Ariana asks who he is, and Robin says that's not important right now. They enter a dark room. This helps Robin being able to see as he turns off his night vision lenses again. As the two of them are making their way through the warehouse, Ariana says she feels sick. It's something that they gave us so we can continue to work. Robin says, they drugged you? Ariana says, I'm so sleepy, and she slumps down onto the floor. Robin says, I I came here with somebody else. They're in trouble. Can you stay here? Are you all right? I promise I'll come back for you. Stay here and hide. Ariana looks at Robin and says, why are you here? Robin looks at her and says, I'm sorry I couldn't stop them from killing your father, but I came here to save you. Don't move. I'll be back for you. Robin thinks, I can't tell her how I really feel. I can't even date her as Robin, and she doesn't even know that Tim Drake exists. Tim thinks, I've got to put my love life on hold. I've got to find the Huntress first. In the back part of the warehouse, Tony Brassie and the KGBs are holding the Huntress. She is tied up from the ceiling with her hands bound, and they are asking about her partner, referring to Robin. Tony Brassie looks at the KGBs and says, Chokehold, gentle beast. The KGBs reaches out his hands and begins to squeeze the Huntress's neck and begins to slowly cause her to lapse in and out of consciousness. The KGB squeezes hard enough to stop the blood flow to her brain and then lets go of her. Tony Brassi says, You will die. You're about to succumb to sweet Bolivian. Then the blood flows back to your brain again, and then we squeeze the life out of you again, repeating the process. The Huntress can barely stand it. She's starting to black in and out, and she may not survive another one of these squeezes from the KG Beast. Just as the KG Beast is about to squeeze the Huntress one more time, Robin comes from behind, kicking the KG Beast square in the back of the neck. This distraction causes Tony Brassi to turn, giving the Huntress the chance that she needs. She activates the switchblade in her boots and kicks Tony Brassi right in the shoulder, catching him with the knife in her boot, and then once in the back of the head, causing Tony Brassi to be knocked unconscious on the floor. Robin grabs the R-Shuriken from his utility belt and throws it towards the Huntress, cutting the Huntress's ropes that are holding her from the ceiling, and then turns his attention back to the KGBs and throws a small smoke pellet to the floor, then grabs the Huntress as the two escape up the elevator shaft and begin to ascend to the top. The KGBs is quickly approaching the elevator shaft from below and is after the pair. Meanwhile, in the bottom part of the warehouse, the Ghost Dragons have now entered, and Tony Brassi's men and the Ghost Dragons begin to fight. The gang war is in full effect. Robin leads the Huntress back to where Ariana is. Robin finds Ariana underneath the stairwells, and Ariana collapses in Robin's arms. The Huntress says the three need to make their getaway now. Tony Brassi wakes up, and he and the KG Beast begin to make their way through the warehouse. Tony Brassi says, Kill them, Beast. Kill them all. And give me their heads. The KG Beast leaps to the ground and begins to attack the Ghost Dragons. The KG Beast feels 
two strong hands on the back of his shoulders, he is spun around and comes face to face with the King Snake himself. Robin and the Huntress and Ariana make their way through the dark warehouse. The Huntress points out that things are quiet, too quiet. Robin says that the shortest path to the street was the way that they came in. The Huntress says, yeah, right through the middle of the gang war. A figure sneaks up behind the trio and leaps around the railing and kicks the Huntress to the ground, hits Lynx, and points a gun right at Robin. Well, it seems that you're seeing another woman. I should be jealous, little bird. Let the girl go, Robin says. I'll think about it, Lynx replies, with the gun pointed at Robin and Ariana. Robin asks if Sir Edmonton is here. Lynx says, he's preoccupied right now, but he'll be glad to see you, little bird. Robin thinks now is the time. Leaping into the air in the line of fire might be a crazy stunt. It's not like he has a choice. Lynx's hatred for him goes a long way back, and he would kill Ariana and himself without giving it a second thought. Robin connects his kick with Lynx right in the face and slams her head into the concrete wall, knocking her unconscious. Robin turns and grabs Ariana. Robin says, take my hand. If we get separated, head to the street. Robin turns and wonders where the huntress went. Back on the warehouse floor, the King Snake has finally got the upper hand over the KGB beast, is standing victoriously over the unconscious body of the KGB beast, and has turned his attention to the large stack of money that's been printed that is stacked up on pallets on the floor. It's fresh, and it's been uncirculated. Someone get a forklift. We're going to move this money to the Gate Street Warehouse. And then Sir Edmonton could feel the heat from behind him. Hot enough for you? It's the Huntress holding a flamethrower with Robin right behind her. Or should I turn up the heat? Imagine what this could do to that glorious cast standing in front of you. A woman's voice. Who are you? The King Snake says. I'm the Huntress. Maybe you've heard of me. Don't flatter yourself, says the King Snake. My dragons and I will kill you. Robin says, You can have the money, King Snake. Choke on it for all we care. Just let us and the Russian prisoners go. It ends here. The King Snake stands before them, smiling. The boy wonder, you always find me at a disadvantage. And now you offer a gentleman's agreement. The hunter says, Let us walk and the cash is yours. Robin replies, None of us are leaving Gotham. You'll get another shot, Sir Edmonton. Agreed go with my blessings. Any other terms? Yeah, Robin says. What country is that currency from? King Snake reaches out his hands and feels the money and says, it's the euro dollar. The paper cash of the new European Commonwealth. It's potentially the most stable currency in the world and it's not even supposed to go into circulation for two more years. No one would suspect the counterfeits were minted here before the genuine article would arrive. Now go before I change my mind. Later in the Huntress's car with Ariana asleep in the back, wondering what the next step is for Ariana. Not a bad night, Romeo, the Huntress says, but I can't say that I'm too happy about leaving the King Snake with billions in funny money. Well, it won't do him much good, Robin says. Yeah, the Huntress replies. I pulled the encoding disc and changed the information on the data strip right after you were captured. None of those funny bills can pass off as genuine. So what did you change it to, the Huntress says. Money can't buy me love. It was the first thing that popped into my head. The Huntress and Robin begin to laugh. I could use a laugh, Robin thinks. Ariana's alive. The Russian operation is busted up. But the hardest part of the past few weeks isn't over yet. When Tim returns home, his father is waiting for him. Tim says, Look, Dad, before you say anything, I just want to say that I can explain everything. And I want to say... Jack cuts him off and says, Son, I'm sorry. Tim looks at his father and says, I let you down, running away from you, cutting school. Jack puts a reassuring hand on his son's arm and says, I'm just happy to see you home. I'll speak to Mrs. Hollingsworth in the morning, and we can forget about the boarding school, Tim. It doesn't matter what you've done, son. 
I love you, and nothing can change that. Let's never be so far again. Your mother wouldn't approve. Tim leans down and hugs his father and says, Dad, I won't let anything come between us again. And over Jack's shoulder, out the window, is the bat signal shining in the night sky. The end. This is George Perez at Cincinnati Comic Expo, and everybody likes to drink, especially the cakes. All right, that was the synopsis for all six issues of Robin Cry of the Huntress, and hopefully, um, because I record this later, uh, that it did not go on for four and a half hours being six <laughs> six issues, uh, but I know where I was going to cut that down. Uh, I remember picking this up in my – I'm using air quotes here um, – my place that I bought comic books. It was a mom-and-pops romance. I shouldn't say mom-and-pops. It was a mom-and-sisters romance novel. Uh, place that was three quarters. You could buy the latest Daniel Steele book. Huh. And then in the back quarter is where they sold comics. So I never really had a a proper comic book shop to get anything mm-hmm. until you know I, I moved out of home and could actually you know use my own car to find shops. So if it wasn't on the wall, I didn't end up picking up stuff. But I, they had this is one of the first posters I remember being uh, in the shop uh, there behind the counter. Uh, was uh, Robin Three Cry the Huntress, and they were you know kind of promoting it, kind of one of the first things they were really doing at the time. So I remember you know, instantly being like, "Oh, this is going to be a continuation of you know the Joker Two, and uh, didn't really, I really wasn't really aware of the Huntress at that point. I mean, I kind of knew who who she was, but this was really my first uh, read into the uh, Huntress character. Um, but uh, I. Th- know that after the success of Robin 1 and Robin 2, this was a, a big push for DC since uh, the last uh, series was out that the in the top 100 that they had released, uh, Robin was the only DC book to crack the top 100, I think, save like a Superman book and a Batman annual. Huh, I didn't know so, that. In a whole line of Jim Lee X-Men, uh, the yeah. fifth book was um, Robin, uh, to Joker's Wild, then it went through some Spider-Man books, and like number twenty was you know the third issue, the second issue of Robin Two. So I think DC was this was their way of kind of saying, okay, the Tim Drake character is really popular. Can we can we really sustain a a series? So I just kind of wanted to get your your thoughts of you know of Robin Three like right off the bat as you were you know picking it up you know way back when. Um, I had, I had started collecting in about 1990 and the first full storyline I collected for Batman was the rite of passage storyline, 618 to 621 of detective. And then from there I went into, I think it was called identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then into, and then, um, from what I remember Batman 457 and then Robin number one came out like right after one another. Mm-hmm. And I loved that first Robin series, um, completely devalued the book Robin number <laughs> one by taking the Neil Adams poster out of the book and hanging it on my wall. <laughs> I don't know where that, po- don't know where the poster is anymore though. I'm like bummed cause I could totally hang that up on the wall here and I don't know what I do with it. Um, I don't want to tell you I have a signed copy of it from Oh, I'm jealous. What's his name? You know, I'm, I might <laughs> I'm not- try to track I might try to track the book down again just to rip the poster out of it again. Um 
So and I never took that poster out for the longest time. This is actually a gift uh, from a, a listener who said, hey, I got something you might be interested in and sent me this in the mail. Um, so my copy is still inside. So until um, I received this about a year ago, um, I had never really seen the full image other than, you know, kind of looking at it online. I, uh, so I got Robin two, um, and bought all of the versions of every cover of Robin two really liked Robin two. Um, the issues of either Batman or detective that featured Tim, I was all in for, especially, um, Shadow Box, I believe, was this kind of the sequel. Yeah. Uh, the, the King Snake storyline. And that three part, anything went with uh, Stephanie Brown, is one of my favorite characters that was introduced. Uh, and and the, the, it hurt her, I read that Clue Master storyline and then the, the next one that she was in over and over and over and over and over again because I just loved it. I liked her as a character too. And then, so when this came out, I was, I was pumped. Um, I remember buying – I don't remember if I bought both the newsstand and the deluxe edition this time around. I know that I did have the deluxe edition with the lenticular covers. Um, took them out of the poly bag and read them and played with the lenticular covers. <laughs> I sold all of that in a big lot on eBay. This is like 15, 14, 15 years ago. Um these issues that I have now, I have actually in my hand the six newsstand editions with the Mike Zek covers, which are – some of them are all right. Some of them are a little bit wonky. Um, these cost me 25 cents a piece. Uh, so – but I've I, – and I hadn't read the story in about 20 years, 20, 25 years, and um, enjoyed it. Enjoyed it a lot more, although I remember even when – in 9293 enjoying it but feeling it was the weakest of the three i i was going to say the same thing i was wondering yeah. if that was your even reading it now yeah. um and I know we were talking a little bit before we went uh Live. on air here that i was missing i think issue 3 and issue 5 mm. so i had never really read them properly until getting ready for the show. I mean, I, I had the beginning of it and I had the ending of it. So I knew how the story played out, but I remember going, uh, I remember buying it at a time thinking that this was the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> and then after I had read the issues that I had, I found myself reading one and two again and going, it's just, there was something, something was missing. And I think this was, is more, setup and more set dressing of like, this is what you can kind of expect from the series. And we're just going to try and fit this in with kind of currently what's going on. That was something else that bothered me. It it's its own thing. It's not going into the seeds that are being planted for nightfall. It's, it's its own thing. It feels like a pilot. Yes. Um, my favorite parts of it, are all the Tim Drake world building character building things. Um, Ariana, his father, Mrs. McElveen, the school thing. That was the stuff. Even I think back then that was the stuff I found interesting. Not that the action wasn't bad. Chuck Dixon can write action like nobody else, but I, you know, I wasn't as interested in the Huntress and the KG beast 
you know, as, as fun as it was to read that stuff, I was yeah. like, you know, the whole, the whole sub, the subplots were actually more interesting to me this time around than say, um, Robin two, where I was really interested in how he was going to take down the Joker. Yeah. Especially considering all the baggage that came with it. Um, I found this actually just, um, my comic store had, they had, they had promoted this pretty well. And um, I never got a poster or anything, but uh, I have a I have this weird like box of lapel pins, huh. and I've never actively collected them. It's just that they were ones that I picked up over years and years and years, and would buy here and there. And it's just this random collection of lapel pins. Well, I have one. It's not a traditional lapel pin with like a little pin in it. It's one of those ones that you kind of fold over. It's got this little tack, but it's a little rectangle that has the Robin logo and three. <laughs> and I, okay. I, I was like, oh, I, I remembered I had had it as we were recording. I kind of snuck <laughs> over to my drawer and was like, I know where this is. So I did not know there was an existence. And I'll tell you what I got. Um, I there was a comic shop, a, a legitimate comic shop in the town. It's about fifteen minutes away. Um, and by the time that um, I was picking this up. That comic shop was in its last week of existence. So I found the shop as it's closing. So uh, they had an autographed copy of Tom Lyle's signature on Robin three uh, issue one with the lenticular cover. Oh, cool. And I was looking at it and kind of going, Oh, it's really cool. You know, should I get it? And they had this poster and I've never seen this poster ever or an image from it at all. It's a picture of Tim in his Robin costume in the sewer holding his bow staff out with his arms stretched like he's ready for something. Uh-huh. And I think it was a promotional poster that was that comic shops had to promote Robin 3. Okay. And um, I kept looking at it. Well, I'll just buy the poster. And the guy's like, I'll give you the poster for free if you spend uh, you know, the money to buy the, uh, the autograph. And I think he was one of 24. And I was like, I really don't have 20. He's like, well, what do you have? And I was like, uh, I've got 10. He's like, sold. Oh, cool. So I got I got the issue signed by Tom Lyle and this poster. And I've kind of looked everywhere online to try and figure out where this poster comes from. There's no words on it at all. But I'm assuming it was Robin 3 promotional something or other. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I, if I ever saw like anything like that. Because there was a Chris Sprouse mini poster in a War of the Gods issue. That I took out of that and put on, but that wouldn't have been it. Yeah, and this is a, a Tom Lyle. This is Tom Lyle, yeah. And the Tom only Lyle. other thing I remember Tom Lyle doing in Robin was uh, the Who's Who entry, but that's not. Yeah, that's not. I'll that. have to. You have to scan. after we're done. I'll I'll take a picture of it. Yeah. To you yes. and send it your way. See if I if I recognize it. But no, I I enjoy the um. No, I enjoy this. It's it's a good. If you put it up against the other two, it's it's a little bit weaker of the three. But even then, it's a strong story. Yeah. It's better than most of the stuff that was coming out around the time, too. So, um, And it sets up some great stuff. Oh, definitely. It doesn't seem... I mean, it's it's the '90s, but it, it doesn't seem overly dated. I know you can kind of read no. some older issues of stuff, and it really feels like it's of its time. Um, you take out the some of a little bit of the lingo, and it's I think it still reads uh, very well. And even against some books that are currently out right now, I don't think it's other than maybe the KG Beast dialogue. <laughs> and and well, I think the two things that 
there's three or four. There's a couple little thing, minor things that look dated. Um, Tim Drake's got like moosed up Ted <laughs> Mosby hair. Yeah. Um, the Huntress's. Uh, I don't like the Huntress's costume. I I've got it in my notes. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Well, since since you brought it up, uh, yeah, it's just Hello 1990s is the note I have yeah. aside. It's just it's very 90s, and she'd have better costumes after this. Her 70s costume was even better than this. Um, yes, I was familiar with the original version of the Huntress because of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Okay. Um, which I had read and then had every issue of and collected like crazy. But so I wasn't really, this was, I think my first exposure to Helena Bertinelli outside of maybe her who's who entry. Um, th- and the other thing, um, yeah, the KGB's dialogue and King snake. He doesn't, he seem off. It does <sighs> not like the, as much as I love Chuck Dixon, this does not seem like the King, same King snake from Robin one. Shadow box. This seems yeah. like a totally different character. He's it's almost like he's the villain in a Van Damme movie or something. It's just not it, it's yeah. And it, it's you, you can almost hear the soundtrack from like Bloodsport or something playing behind like half of his scenes with the candle. In fact, the villain the villain that I really came to appreciate through my rereads, either of Robin and some of the other storylines and this, um, was not him, it was Lynx who yeah. I don't know if they did much with her beyond this. I don't know how often she would show up or if she died at one point. I'd have to go back back and look and she, see what the heck happened to her. After she this. does die. I don't, I have my uh, short boxes back here. I can't quite get to, That's fine. but uh, there, there is one more King snake story mm-hmm. that goes between Robin detective comics and Batman. Yes. I, I know which one you're talking about. And I think she makes a brief appearance in that, and then she gets killed off in a later uh, issue, and that's the last we see of her. She was a cool. She had a reason to hate him. Yes, and it made and because he had no reason to hate him, he just it was like oh the boy you know the boy it's like yeah, I would have gotten away with it you know if it wasn't for you you know and that's his reason for Your hating stupid him. dog yeah yeah I mean although he's not a bad villain. I liked the fact that Robin had somebody to go up against. I just, like I said, in this series, for some reason, he's just very, he's very like Van Damme Seagal villain. Yeah. Very vanilla. Yeah. Um, Lynx though had like such a genuine reason for hating him because of the way her failure or his embarrassment of her. It's cause it's at the end of the first series where like, I mean, he ripped her eye out. Yeah, it was like the punishment she received at the hands for of King Snake for not getting or killing Robin is such a great reason to hate Robin, and I thought that I've always liked that about her, and I really liked her in this as well. And it's kind of a shame they never did much else with her. So they even brought back the Lynx character in the Red Robin series, and Mm -hmm. I was disappointed to find out that it wasn't. You know, the or same links Ling, that, you know, or whatever her name was. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, um, that those are the only things that make it really feel dated. But even then, it ends up reading like a pretty quality 80s, 90s action flick, mm-hmm. which I, which some, which I guess is an acquired taste. But at the same time, I'm all for a big, a, a good 
mid-level 80s or 90s action flick. I kind of grew up on those when I was a teenager. So, you know, yeah, it's, you know. I've got no problem watching Under Siege. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Steven Seagal in the sub, what's not to love? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the the story is solid. The art is, with the exception of issue six. I, yes, six is also like... I did a double take just rereading it uh, again the other night that it looks like it was a different artist. Like his, I don't know if mm-hmm. it was time crunch time for Tom. It was um, heated, Tim's hair. Looks like it's let me look not at the credits. Spike. Heated layouts. Okay. And Graham Grant Mime M I E H M yeah. did the pencils. Jose Marzan Jr. and Bob Smith did the inks. So yeah, it was. Maybe it was a deadline because I think, if I am to be correct, issues two, three, four, and five ship biweekly. Mm-hmm. So I think the city, I think the series in itself was probably biweekly. So maybe Lyle was feeling a little bit of a deadline crunch on toward the end there. Uh, something that I've always liked uh, about the Robin miniseries was not having to rely on Batman yes. for anything that Batman either begins the series or comes in the door at the end of Joker two mm-hmm. where, you know, Tim's drinking the cocoa by the fire yeah. and is like, tell, tell Bruce about what, you yeah. know, tell me about what that I remember reading Robin one and going, okay, when is Tim over his head and they're going to have to bring in Batman to, well, chum, I had to save you because blah, 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 you know, and, that didn't happen. So I thought, well, surely that's going to have to happen facing the Joker. There's no way Tim can outsmart the Joker. And I'm going to kick you in a vat of uh, mud, you know, or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I, I liked how this opens up that in the early stages that you, Batman and Robin are swinging through the uh, city to, you know, bust some thugs up. And I thought, okay, this is where we're going to get Batman every issue. And it's going to say Robin on the front. And no, by the, third page Batman's no longer in the book and kind of waiting for Batman to appear at the end of the book. And that doesn't happen either. So I've been saying it through the whole uh, podcast up to this point that they really started cementing Tim into not that he doesn't need a Batman, but it doesn't have to be the crutch. I think yeah. if this were a Jason Todd story, Batman would have to come in and save the day. Cause Jason, Jason's going to screw it up. Well, that was, and, and actually in my last episode of taking flight, I covered the one story where Jason screwed it up to disastrous results because somebody died. And one of the things that they did with Tim early on was once you got out of the Robin and the Robin two series and you get into Batman four sixty five, I believe it is, which is his first appearance in Batman in the costume in a regular adventure. It, the cover apes that classic Batman number nine yes. cover. It's an all Robin issue. Bruce Wayne foils the crime. Bruce Wayne foils the crime, not even Batman. <laughs> right. And and it's it's a mostly a Robin story. And then when they did this the spoiler storyline of Detective, yes, Batman's involved there, but it's a primarily Robin driven story. And you're right, they really worked on making Tim his own person and his own character and not the back half of Batman and which Dick Grayson was saddled with for the first 30 or so years of his career 
mainly because that's the way the Batman comics were written. And he, it wasn't until the teen Titans where he started to get a little bit of his own personality. And then they had him go to college. And then of course, you know, the Wolfman and Paris era started. So it took a long time for that character just because of the conventions of the day to start to become his own character in his own right. And they did that with Tim right off the bat. And I think that's why the fans like him so much or liked him at the time because he wasn't, so relying on Batman. He wasn't a punk kid. And I identified with him on some level. Um, he was a little bit younger than me. I think he was a couple of younger than me when I started reading it. But overall, um, I felt more at home, like with him as a person who like I could relate to rather than say Dick or Jason. Yeah. And so, and I, I can remember being in my locker and the, you know, probably Badmouthing the <laughs> high school bully and, you know, wanting to have that Tim Drake moment like I could pull out a batarang <laughs> and just beat the tar out of this kid or or sometimes I wish I could yell out Shazam, you know. <laughs> that was uh, – those are the characters I, I identified with. The, yeah. Um, the first thing I have in my notes, uh, here is that, uh, now I'm losing where <laughs> the first thing I have in my notes and I can't even read it is that, uh, Tim and the life of a teenager parentheses, Peter Parker. I think you've mm-hmm. uh, said before on taking flight, you've kind of put the Peter Parker into, um, Dick, if I'm saying that right, but I kind of saw more of the Peter Parker esque, like I still have to maintain, he even says it, uh, in the story here that he can't, you know, stop Ari- Ariana's uh, dad, you know, yeah. without giving away the identity of Robin. I'm, I'm going to have to just sit here in the doorway and watch whatever happens yeah, unfold. He, he, um, it's almost like they're both Peter Parker esque, like Tim is Peter in like the Lee Ditko high school era. And, Dick's kind of the grown-up Peter, and they still have the same sort of insecurities and stuff like that. But yeah, you're right. The the, the whole the whole being able to go to school, staying out late at night, coming in with bruises all over your face, and 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 the fact that people notice because this is the thing. Unlike Peter, Tim doesn't have powers, mm-hmm. so Tim doesn't heal very well or as quickly, and he's exhausted and he's got a black eye and guidance, the guidance office is like, is something going on here? And it just causes this complication where he can't exactly say, no, I'm Robin. (laughs) Right. Because that's going to be another, because his father's going to lose his mind. And so it's almost like, and the funny thing is, is that the, the, one of the things I loved about his character was the fact that Jack Drake was alive. And, this is a great thing because when he starts the bickering and the fighting back and forth with his dad, mm-hmm. I always got the feeling, at least at first in this in this series, and the first time he does it, he does it because he needs an out. You know, like, mm-hmm. like I need to get out of this conversation. I need to throw him off the trail. What can I do? I'm going to be a depressed, whiny, bratty teenager. I'm going to run to my room I'm and gonna, slam the door. Exactly. I'm going to. I'm going to throw a teenage fit by the end. I feel like he's actually doing that genuinely. Yeah. That the, and it's not directed. It's not that his father is making him angry. It's the stress is getting to him and it's, he's just transferring it onto his father because he can't find an outlet. He can't be honest with anybody except for maybe Alfred. 
Um, and even he goes to the Batcave at one point, and Harold's working on something, and mm-hmm. Harold can't talk. So yeah. I, I don't want to say anything to Alfred because Alfred will probably say something to Bruce. Bruce told me not to get involved and do anything. Uh, somebody just died in front of me, so I guess I'll say something to Harold. And the bit that I think it's the second fight where you know it, he's really pulling no punches mm-hmm. with his dad and telling him exactly how he feels, and then later he's in the Robin costume and makes the comment of, like, I really envy Bruce for not having any parents. Yeah. That... And he even says, you know, I can't believe I'm saying that, but to go to that route of like, you know, Bruce would trade you in a heartbeat. You have a parent that loves you. Yeah. And Bruce has told Tim time and time again, you don't have to and don't need to do this. Go be a teenager. Go be with your parent. Be thankful you have one. So I think Bruce would have probably really given him a what for to hear if I know it was an inner monologue comment, but if that was something expressed by Tim, I think that probably would have been the end of his Robin career right at that moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think about his interaction with the Huntress? Because Dick Grayson's interactions with Helena Bertinelli usually ended up with them sleeping together. Yeah. Um, I like her origin story i always liked the whole even when they did her on arrow i liked the whole idea of the ex mafia princess yeah becoming a becoming basically the vigilante and because she reminded me a lot of the vigilante uh adrian chase vigilante Mm -hmm. and i like the premise of the character i think her dialogue at times gets a little bit you know, your partner doesn't like me. I'm the bad influence. That sort of gets a little bit in that kind of cliche area. And I found myself with not reading as much Huntress as trying to figure yeah. out, am I supposed to know the conflict that she's talking about? Or is she trying to throw Tim off? Like what, what was her reference? Why does Batman not? There was a, it was either a maxi series or an ongoing that didn't last very long with her in the very late eighties. Okay. I've never read it. Um, if you were to read her who's who entry from the binder edition, uh, from 90, 91, that's probably where I, that's where most of the information would come from. Yeah. Um, and that's where you got the backstory. And I believe Batman was in that. So, because they created a whole new character for the Huntress because the original version of the Huntress was Helena Wayne of Earth 2. So, um, so yeah. So I think it's a way for us to be caught up to speed because not everybody has read the Huntress. She was also in a detective comic storyline. It was either right before, was it right before? It was right either right before or right after that first three issue storyline featuring the spoiler. Travis Cheris did the covers. It was like oh, a two parter. Okay. And um, so, so people might've been familiar with her from that, but you no, know, she was sort of familiar and it's obvious by the way, too, that Dixon is trying to get a team up together on the order of the classic Robin Batgirl. 
team up, but Batgirl doesn't exist at this point because Barbara Gordon is Oracle and, and, um, Oh, what's her name? Not Stephanie Brown. The one right before oh, Cassandra, Cassandra Kane. Cassandra Kane isn't around yet. Yeah, and and had Steph been backer, this would have been cool with the spoiler. I, I'm surprised. That was something I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Uh, as far as the podcasting goes, the episode mm-hmm. before this was the Eclipse uh, Eclipso Anarchy story, the annual. Okay. Uh, the one before that would have been the Clue Master Stephanie Brown introduction. So when Robin Three came out, um, I back then I thought, oh, we'll get to see Stephanie Brown. And I would love to see Stephanie Brown in this. Nowhere to be found, and she won't appear again until the Robin miniseries. So we'll go through all mm-hmm. the way through Nightfall. Um, out through Prodigal, and well, I guess she's back while Prodigal's going on. She's has been in there already, but yeah. at the end of Nightfall, so she doesn't make an appearance for quite almost a year. And she doesn't become a regular for a little while after that, too. Yeah. Um, and Dixon I, wrote it. Yeah, like I said, I, I kind of wish she was in this, even if she wasn't didn't play a major role. It would have been cool to see her in in, in something. I mean, Ariana, this is her first uh, appearance in here, which uh, as small as the appearance is, I think you could have inserted Stephanie Brown very well into this. And I like, I've, I always liked Ariana. Um, I liked the whole, the Russian, it just, it was just an interesting way to do a different type of girlfriend. Um, The Russian mob extortion bit. Mm-hmm. Again, very, very action movie. They are packing way more weaponry than they should be. <laughs> right. um, the KGB, the KGB is just the KGB is like an eighties Marvel villain. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's he's not a terrible character. It's just. Can I be honest, real mm. quick? You may have to hang up this call. I always kind of liked the KG Beast. I don't know what it was about it, but dialogue is oh, this is me killing you now. Yeah. You know that. Yeah, the dialogue is horrible, but it was it was another one of those. This is a villain for Robin, you know. Uh, Anarchy was. Uh, I always looked to Anarchy's more of a Robin villain. And granted, mm-hmm. he got to start a little bit earlier, but it was kind of nice to go. Oh, that's a Robin villain. That's a Robin villain, rather than having to pull from Batman's uh, yeah. Rogues Gallery. But yeah, he's <laughs> well, he was a Batman villain because yeah. in Ten Nights of the Beast, Batman even tells Robin. This is Jason at this point. You're not on this case. It's too dangerous for you. And the only thing that the one take, the two takeaways from 10 nights of the beast, one of the Mike Mignola covers, I think they're Mike Mignola or they're Mike Zach covers, whoever did the covers. It was either Mignola or Zach and I'm blank on it. And it was, I think it was Zach. And two, um, the fact that there's that scene where he's Batman's got his arm and he's like, you know, I'm going to help you up. And, Rather than have Batman take him, capture him, he cuts his hand off mm-hmm. to escape, and that's why he's got the attachment on his hand in in this in this uh, series. He's not a horrible character, you know. This isn't um, blood sport or blood drain or whatever. The, yeah. There's a Superman villain I'm thinking of. I think it's blood sport actually, or blood not a bloodshot. That was a valiant character, and it's not. Um, Oh, just some of the stupid villains you'd see in like Youngblood or something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, but but there is just but um 
and I don't think Dixon takes it too seriously, but so, no. but, um, it is just kind of funny how like they're so, they're so overarmed. <laughs> and I like the fact that they brought King snake into this, even if he is a little bit stiff as far as his characters, he's just a little too one dimensional for this. But I mean, I will tell you that, that even the little bit of lame moments aside here and there, and some of the silly dialogue and stuff, Dixon is writing these action scenes that are just very fast paced and very well done. And you can see on, you can picture this on a television screen with a score behind it. And there's so much, like I said, I paid a buck 50 for these six issues. I got more out of these six issues than I would get of one comic that I'm currently reading mm-hmm. with a couple of exceptions, you know, um- trying to frantically flip through the book and I <laughs> trying to see which spot on my notes, but there's a scene where Robin is going underneath a series of tables. There's no dialogue whatsoever. And it is books. very, very fluid. Um, really professional here, Rob. Nice job. Talk amongst yourself. Rhode Island is neither a road nor an island to discuss. Um, I think it's actually in six. Maybe it's not. I've got it on my notes somewhere. But anyway, there's a series series where Robin's on top of the table and he's under the table and he's taken out uh, a bunch of guards. It's so fluid. And I can hear, like you said, that 80s, 90s, you know, uh, hero theme song uh, Mm -hmm. going through. um, In a a good way, too. We'll clarify that we're not taking the piss out of this. It's just, it's very of its time, but it works. I found it. It's an issue three and it is page 13, 12 and 13. Uh, Robin and Huntress break into like the casino racket for the Russian mobsters. Uh, Robin flips over a pool table into a guy, turns over the shoulder. Yeah. Guy has a shotgun. This is good. Uh, And even just the bottom panel where his hand is coming right down. Yeah. On the dude's face is just, and then you know the next page he's not getting, the face anywhere but the yeah, face. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel it swelling already. Mom said, "Not in the face." Yeah, and uh, and then Huntress with the, the guy's got an Uzi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it must be the eighties or the nineties. The guy has an Uzi. Um, Huntress grabbing that, and um, the one criticism I have of Tom Lyle's art. And it's a minor nitpick, but there are scenes where he makes like every Tim and Helena, especially everybody looks Asian. Yeah. And I'm not trying to sound like racist or anything. It was just like Helena's Italian and he's like, but they, the way he draws them, they, they almost look, um, they almost look Asian. Yeah. And it's not terrible. It's just odd at points. Uh, even he's even doing that in Robin's, you know, domino mask. He'll do yeah. it to Tim every now and then, but even just the whites and the uh, yeah. mask get a little, little Asian esque. Um, I do like it. Well, since I've got this uh, issue in my hand uh, uh-huh. right after this is where uh, Tim thinks that Ariana has been killed. And I think mm-hmm. had the Huntress not been there, he might have actually beat this guy to death or yeah. had done something that he would have really, really regretted. You know, Tim runs off and um, Helen is trying to, you know, catch up with him and he's obviously upset. So it's kind of like the the first real girl, aside from Stephanie, slamming a brick into his face yes. <laughs> that, you know, that he uh, kind of falls for. 
Um, I do like the uh, jitteriness uh, when he sees um, Ariana for the first time. He's like, "You're very pretty. Your your name is very pretty." You know, you <laughs> can't can't articulate that quite enough. But uh, he he's always out of the three Robins up until this point. He's the nerd. Yeah, Dick's Dick's the big man on campus. Jason's the punk. Tim's the nerd, and he's not the most socially. Um, he he's he's very very awkward. You could you could tell that from the beginning of even a lonely place of dying, where he was a, too smart for his own good, precocious sort of kid. You know, on the scale of a of a goonie. So to speak, <laughs> yeah. he was a goonie. I mean, yeah, it's was. totally what he was. And he, you know, he was growing up and he spends all of his time hanging out with. Now, it's cool that you get to spend all your time hanging out with Batman. I, I think a bunch of us when we were that age, hell, even now. Yeah. Your second home's the Batcave. Oh, heck yes. But. You know the whole idea of him going to public school here because it's just and he's he's fallen with I I loved Ives I've always Ives loved great. Ives and he's fallen with his crowd I think that's why I identified him with him because I was that way in high school and um you know the Teen Titans even with the Marv Wolfman and George Perez run were always a little bit older mm-hmm. they were they were eighteen nineteen years old and somebody. <sighs> It was a blogger. I don't know who it was. It was something I read years ago. Equated the Marvel from George Perez Teen Titans to sort of like a Beverly Hills 90210. And I think that's a fitting fitting comparison. It's a very sort of beautiful people type of, you know, there was almost a fantasy. There was a John Hughesiness about it in, in places. And Tim always felt more grounded. Uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> always felt more grounded in reality. And you felt like you could be him, even if he had the rich home and he had the, the mansion next door to the mansion that the bat cave was under. Um, but you know, he falls in, he, he meets this girl whose parents own a store. He kind of falls for Stephanie, who is the girl from the wrong side of the tracks. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, um, you know, that, that's why it's kind of that's why there's a little bit of Peter Parker in there too because you can you can see yourself as Tim Drake and and I think it comes out I think that's why I like that's why I like those bits in this series so much because that was that was always very relatable and they carry you're right they carried that through the series and that's what one of the things that I loved about the series too and it's Stephanie for Tim was that girl he could just not quite make mm-hmm. I would say this is Tim's Corey and Barbara. Yeah. Ariana, uh, the the girl that he really wants to be with, he just he can't quite make it work out because yeah. Stephanie keeps screwing up. Mm-hmm. The girl that he should be with, but kind of flirtatious with, is Ariana. Just, and I think that's the the part of Tim that I I liked is trying to make sure he's keeping his head in the game. That it's like you know what I. I I need to be going out patrolling, but I've I've got to go over to Ariana's later. Oh, hey, look, there's Stephanie. Yeah. You know, it's that who am I chasing? And even a couple times, Bruce is having to snap Tim out of it yeah, and no. be like, uh, "Keep your head in the game." You I know, th- I think you're right too. And um, 
you know, Corey is Corey sticks true love, Stella. <laughs> Uh, I guess we'll have to wait till convergence to see if that actually really gets. Uh, I'll, I'm curious if uh, Stella's going to be picking up a nightmare <laughs> oracle. <laughs> Sorry, Stella. <laughs> um, all right, get back to this. Um, I liked how he figured out the huntress's identity. Yes, and it was almost like, and, and I also liked the. There was a little bit in there where he shows up at her apartment, and um, and he's just like, "Well, how do you think I got this job?" Yeah, that's a great, that's a great line. It's just like, yeah, you're, you're a smart kid. And even she acknowledges it. And like all the little details and the clues that he pieces together, like your perfume, your car, um, and and stuff like that. Your inheritance, you had a sabbatical, you know, uh, I thought that was great. Um, I'd love to take a sabbatical. I can't afford that (laughs) for my salary. Um, and there's um there's a sense when they first meet that because she knows that he's out on his own he she even says um he didn't authorize this little adventure and i yeah. think in the back of her mind she's kind of hoping that she has a little bit more of an ally than she does with batman but i think she comes to realize that she kind of does but at the same time the kid's loyal you know yeah i think she picks that up pretty early on because yeah. she starts asking him some questions and he quickly shoots it down. It's like, you're not getting anything out of me yeah. that Tim firmly draws that line. and was saying, yeah, I'm, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, but I've got no problem going back to the cave and bringing the big guy with me. Yeah. I, the title of this whole thing is misleading. Cry of the Huntress, like, I guess you wanted to have hunters in the story, like in the title, because it's a hunters team up, but it's not a huntress centered story. No, it's the two I, of them just teaming up to take down the Russian mob, which gets involved with the King snake, uh, gang, the drag dragons. Yeah. The ghost. Bust, ghost. Dra- yeah. Ghost, ghost dragons. Dra- I must said double dragons. Yeah. Double dragons, yeah. Um, you know, they, they stumble, they get involved in a mob war. So this isn't him getting involved with her. This, you know, there's that tangential connection to her because of her history, but. And that's what I kept waiting for yeah. is like, okay, is this the very same mob that ended up taking out her parents? So yeah. she's really using Robin to, okay, I, I needed you to flush these guys out. Cause now I'm going to kill them all, make them pay for killing my family. No, that's not what happens. Yeah. Like, you're right. It's a lot of setup for, like, he saves Ariana's life. And he's having the issues at home, but he reconciles with his father at the end. So we know he's going to continue on. And these the supporting characters are going to continue on. So it really, this could have been the first six issues of a Robin ongoing series. And you wonder if Nightfall delayed that. I got that feeling from this, even when this came out and I was reading Nightfall, that I'm like, I feel like I'm I'm a year into the future or I shouldn't be reading something. Like I got I got an early release of this thing that's gonna be coming out because it yeah. just it didn't gel well with what's going on. That once Robin One came out, the ongoing series, 
I kind of went back to this and go, oh, so this is where this is supposed to go. Because mm-hmm. I think by issue six, the Huntress shows back up. Oh, she's been I mean, captured. Yeah, she's been captured. Yeah, I think yeah. the front cover, she's like, I'm, she's she, tied up cut. and they're choking her to death. Yes, yeah, yeah, there's the whole thing. And you're right, because Robin One was his first adventure. Robin Two was the Joker. They were both these big, these were big stories for him. And Batman's out of town. Yeah. And, and that, and, but here it's a good story as a standalone miniseries. It's not wholly important to everything. You know, nothing life changing happens. Um, we just see kind of how tough this is for him, which I like. But yeah. this could have like this this really could have felt like, hey, you could do seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You could just keep going from here. Do the ongoing from here. There's no reason to start over with the number one aside from, you know, you can get a foil embossed cover and put a number one on it. <laughs> right. But I uh, yeah, I was wondering if if um if the fact that, that Robin One begins sometime right after Batman five hundred. Yeah. I think. And Maybe that was part of it that they felt that they wanted for continuity's sake to keep Robin in the Batman titles for a little while longer before they had him go as the trade paperback is called flying solo. Flying, yes. Um, and so, like I said, this is almost like a pilot for that. Let's, and, and, and you're right. They had the sales numbers to demand another Robin series. And I believe I haven't, looked at the uh, diamond sales for us, but I know it sold very well. I mean, mm-hmm. I bought the newsstand versions and the, <laughs> you yeah. know, lenticular covers. Um, those I lin- still have those lenticular covers are particularly great, by the way. Um, the, lint- the, the, the stuff they do with lenticular stuff now is a lot better. Yeah. Like the ones they did a couple of years ago for the, f- um, for the villains month mm-hmm. were, were much better. These were not the greatest. Um, there's a yeah, couple to, that are halfway decent, but to move them just right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the last couple things I want to point out here sure. is the poster uh, for Dare, <laughs> uh, being a uh, high school student of the '80s and '90s. <laughs> you know those little references. I I, I just read it uh, again last night, and I chuckled out loud, and I slid the issue over to my wife. I'm like, "What are you noticing this?" And she went, "The Dare posters." <laughs> I remember those. That was like Don and I did did Detective Comics six fifty, and there's a whole. Um, I actually ended up explaining to him who what Geraldo Rivera's talk show was because there's <laughs> these ref there's there was references there was a guy standing for Geraldo and there's a reference to the Al Capone's Vault special, and um, he's wearing a bandage across his nose, <laughs> which anybody who. That comic came out in about 92, so anybody who was of that age knows exactly what it's talking about. Oh, yeah. So I I love when Dixon would do that, um, even though it is a little bit dated now. Um, But yeah, like you said, he builds this world up for him really, really well. He has this take place in something like the type of place that you would, you know, the Gotham looks real. This isn't an X-Men mm-hmm. where every issue seems to be taking place in either in like an quote undisclosed location of an underground bunker because whoever the artist that month just didn't want to draw backgrounds. 
you know. Yeah. And you know, it was like, okay, oh, the the hideout layer, and guess what? All the walls are gray. You know, I mean, here you've got somebody, and in Tom Lyle, you have a good artist where they're showing, um, you know, they're they're showing the school. The school looks like your typical public school. Um, you know, it's once again, it's snowing in Gotham. <laughs> um, I was always thinking, I think Robin can only operate in snow. <laughs> But but it just it looks it, it it's it's done so well. Lyle uses multiple panels on a page really well, and it's just that's what I loved about his take on Robin. He was he was detailed. He took his time with him. That's why I was always kind of bummed about the last issue of the series because he didn't do the art. Even the cover of that is pretty bad. Yeah, um, that lenticular cover in the last one is 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 pretty. Huntress is horrible. Yeah, horrible in that. And and just the 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 pencils on six are just stiffer and not as dynamic. Um, and you know, it's not a bad story. I mean, he gets, they, they basically, they get out of a jam. There's a, there's a showdown between KG beast and King snake, which is had Lyle been drawing. It would have been, would have looked better, mm-hmm. but it, um, he, he gets to knock links on her butt and, uh, but he saves, he, he gets the girl, he saves the girl. And, uh, and they kind of make this bargain. This was actually cute. They make the bargain with with King Snake about the money. They let him take all the counterfeit money, and then Tim messed with the computer program. So the because it's a bunch of euros, and by then at that point the euro was not a currency yet. No, I, I had to look that up and go. Yeah. Was that out there? No, that's not yet. No, this is right after Maastricht. And then he tells her, and I'm looking for the page. Um, none of the bills can pass his gen. He said, I pulled the, pulled the encoding disc and changed the information on the data strip right after you were captured. So that's the data strip. I think is like when you hold it up, it's the light. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's clever too, by the way, it's not like he put Mickey mouse's face where George Washington's should be. He, 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 made it look as real as possible so they could fool these people into think they had the money. Cause he's, he's like, what did you change it to? And he said, money can't buy me love. It was the first thing that popped into my mind. <laughs> and she starts laughing. I mean, that's funny. That yeah. is very cop show, you know, like, you know, do, 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 you know, <laughs> and it's great. I love it. It's, it's, and, and Tim's smart. Too, and that that's what I've always loved about him too. And there's a sense of humor in this character that that he had for years before, um, like the early 2000s, where Jeff Johns for some reason decided he wanted him to be more and more serious, which drove me nuts. Yeah, but let's. I'm not going to get into that because this is, this is the <laughs> this is the Tim Drake that I love, the Chuck Dixon classic Chuck Dixon Tim Drake, and that's why I like the for all its flaws, the series is worth picking up. Oh, definitely. And just a couple little things that uh, I liked in this is it explains how Tim is able to get from his house to Wayne Manor mm-hmm. through the draining of the well. Um, you know that'll play into uh, Nightfall uh, quite a bit for Tim. Um, just it, it's it's set dressing. Yeah, uh, like I said before, it's like here's all the parts and players and everything that's. If you can wait another year, once we get to uh, the Robin One proper ongoing series, it, it 
feels like it's a nice family reunion. Like, oh, there's Ives, and then you have, you know, the Jock, you know, his Flash Thompson, you know, mm-hmm. and all these wonderful things that I think, without trying to upset a Dick Grayson fan, I really yeah. think that Tim's universe was really thought about that he is very much Batman and Robin. But he's yeah. also Robin himself. He has a whole host of people he can uh, play with and interact with. And I remember thinking, well, how how are you going to do a Robin series without relying on Batman? And uh, I think these three uh, miniseries has kind of showed that you don't necessarily need Batman to have uh, the yeah. sidekick not feel like a sidekick. He can feel like his own hero and is very flawed and still has to go home and do homework and take Ariana out on a date and maybe stop and see Stephanie. And I think that comes from with Dick Grayson, he becomes his own person when he becomes Nightwing because I think on some level at that point, Robin is still the property Mm -hmm. as opposed to the character and Jason the first version of Jason was a Dick Grayson clone. The second version of Jason was the punk kid who the fans killed. And when they brought Tim on to be the third Robin, you had a really good combination of one, a movie where there was no Robin. So the property was not as important. And two, they did a really good job of building this character from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And they did a really good job of making this character one who, yeah, you're right, is his own person and has his own world and has his own life. And without forcing it, because he was always that way from the beginning. And it made sense that he would go out on solo adventures and not rely on Batman, whereas they just didn't work with Jason. And Dick, I think, was just too established for it to happen as Robin until yeah. the scene Titans came along and then they wander Robin back. So that's why they created Nightwing. So, you know, you can't really fault Dick Grayson for that. And although yeah. he had his own, he had a, his own adventures in his own world back in the sixties and, you know, in seventies yeah. and stuff. It was just, you know, it's, it's not as, I think just the comics are older and they're kind of, those stories are almost lost to time in a way. Um, and, uh, because of your show, Tom, mm-hmm. um, your late show, <laughs> I picked up, um, uh, uh, comic convention uh, showcase presents Robin the Boy Wonder and getting to see some classic uh, Dick Grayson stories that you were just yeah. talking about, and you were talking about how cool they were in black and white. And I'm like, I don't know, they reading look a comic good in black and, and white, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm about a, a an eighth of the way through. The, I will, the, uh, I will, thesaurus that it is, but it's it's great. I have it. I have it myself. I picked up and cheap in, and some of those Jimmy Olsen stories are weird. <laughs> yeah, the college, the college ones though, those are fun, and I think some of them continue a little bit into Batman Family, but I'm not sure. I have to. I have a few Batman Family issues digitally. I would recommend getting the Teen Titans ones as well. Um, those are crazy because it's Bob Haney. Um, it's Bob Haney being Bob Haney, but Nick Cardi, his art in black and white and color is gorgeous. So um, I would recommend if um, getting the Teen Titans ones, and I'll plug Stella a little bit. The Batgirl one is actually pretty worth getting too. Cool. Um, 
Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end. Uh, Tom, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, it's been something I've been wanting to do for quite a while, and I'm glad it uh, worked out. And hopefully, if it wasn't too painful, you'll <laughs> you know swing by the uh, Tim Drake uh, bird nest again uh, one day, and uh, we can chat some more uh, Tim Drake. I would love to. This was a pleasure. Um, so thanks for having me on. Excellent. Cool. Well, that's going to wrap it up. We will uh, see everybody in a couple weeks and uh, for the next episode of Robin, Everyone Loves a Drake. And we're here, everybody. Nightfall is upon us. So I've got some cool things lined up for Nightfall, and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Take care. All right. That wraps up my two-part episode with Tom Paneris. Again, thank you. Thank you very much, sir, for being on, Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Uh, like I said, I had to kind of cut and edit some of these together to make it a cohesive uh, narrative. Uh, we just had a really good discussion, and I kind of got off uh, track from my notes how I wanted the show to flow. And the one thing that I forgot to do that I absolutely meant to do is tell you where you can find Tom. Uh, again, his podcast on the BatmanUniverse.net has ended, uh, taking flight. Uh, all the episodes are still up. If you haven't heard them yet, I highly recommend you go over and checking them out. He said he's going to keep them up for a little while there. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and download some of them uh, myself as there are some books in there that uh, I really want to pick up, and it's a good uh, reference tool. You can also go to PopCultureAffidavid.com. That's P-O-P-C-U-L-T-U-R-E affidavit A-F-F-I-D-A-V-I-T dot com to check out uh, Tom's uh, website. There's other information to his podcast. He has a pop culture affidavit uh, podcast you can find on iTunes as part of the Two True Freaks Network. He also has an in-country Marvel Comics The Nam uh, podcast he is also doing. You can find that on iTunes and uh, twotruefreaks.com as well. And he has a blog post, My Life as a Teen Titans. It's a really uh, fun uh, website to peruse and check out. Uh, he's a, a great writer. There's just tons of information, and it's uh, cool to see his uh, take on everything uh, geekdom and dorkdom. And it says right on his page, The Sworn Testimony of a Dork. So uh, from one dork to another, Tom, thank you very much. So, okay, Rob, let's... Uh, end this bad boy right here. Take us out. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman related characters are under copyright of DC comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, 10myers at yahoo.com. And I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the batmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.